Good morning. Happy New Year. We are going to continue on in Acts 17. Last time I was here with you guys, we were in Acts chapter 17. And the, uh, the topic uh, of our study last time was about how God wants us to be thinking Christians, to be Christians that love the Lord with our heart, soul, and mind and strength. And how we need to be studying the Word of God and being able to apply it to our lives and being able to share it. Well, we're going to continue on uh, with that line of thinking in Acts chapter 17. And we're going to be studying this morning uh, verses 16 to 34. So let me read the passage. I like to kind of do a flyover, read the whole thing. Then we can come back and um, kind of look at uh, the passage piece by piece. So Acts chapter 17 is where we're at. We're going to be starting in verse uh, 16. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him and some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, How may we, know, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak? For you are bringing some strange things to our ears, therefore we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being as also some of your own poets have said for we are also his offspring." Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance to this, uh, of this to all by raising him from the dead." And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, We will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed, among them Dionysius the Areopagite. There's a name for you, huh? In case anybody's having a child this year. A woman named Damaris and others with them. So let me pray for us and we'll dive in. What a tremendous passage, Father, uh, describing your glory, uh, your intentions, your purposes, your sovereignty, your creative hand, 
Lord, we pray, God, that we would take this in today and uh, really receive it and have you examine our hearts and help us to make application to our lives, God, that we may be increasingly, Lord, having lives that look more like Jesus. Thank you for this church and the people here, the leadership, and uh, thanks for this opportunity, Father, to be here. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So, the title of this message is Speaking to the Unchurched. And, and what I want to communicate with you guys this morning is how the Apostle Paul, he always kind of had a method of, of reaching out to people. And so, it, it was almost predictable. He would, he would often first go into the synagogue where the Jews were because there was a commonality there. He was, he was a Jewish man and, and uh, he would start with the scriptures. With Gentiles, he would kind of approach them another way. But one thing that we, that we always see Paul doing is he, he shows up to a community and he finds a way to insert himself into the lives of unbelievers. He's very deliberate about that. He doesn't um, kind of, you know, sit out on the corner and say, you know, I, I welcome anybody to come to me. He goes to them. It's not a wrong thing to, to sit on the corner and, you know, say, I'm, I'm welcome, welcoming everybody to come to me. It's not a wrong thing. But he was very deliberate about reaching out. And we're going to see that here. And I want to kind of, uh, maybe provoke you in a godly way, in a loving way, in a happy way. See, I'm smiling, see? I'm not, no guilt trips, as, as Pastor Jared said. But help us to think about the Great Commission. I mean, what, what's the first word in the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28? Go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. It's a proactive position, and I think it's really easy for us to sometimes be very grateful for our salvation and be very grateful for the changes that God has made in our lives. Man, I thank God every day that I'm not the guy I used to be. I'm sure my wife does as well, you know. Thanks, thanks to the Lord. I'm just not the guy that I used to be. I'm very happy. I'm blessed with a, with a church and with a family and friends and all those things. But it's just really easy for us to stop there sometimes and just be content and blessed, you know. But we also need to be people that go. There's lots of ways to go. Um, and so just want... I just want to see the Holy Spirit kind of, kind of provoke you guys in that own personal way that fits your life and, and, your, and the personality that God's given you. So we see here that Paul is waiting at Athens in verse 16. Let me give you some, some, uh, some statistics and facts about Athens. So um, it says here that his spirit, Paul's spirit, was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idolatry. There's an old quote that says it's easier to find a God in Athens than it is to find a man. They were, they were extremely religious in, in many, many carnal ways. Over 3,000 temples that were dedicated to different gods and goddesses, and there was no other ancient city so full of idols. So there was a lot of spirituality going on there. We read in verse 17, Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with Gentile worshipers. So that's usually where Paul would start because he was... Um, of the Jewish background. He was a Pharisee and he would go there and he would be invited to speak and he would open up the scriptures and it was a common thing that they would have guest speakers in the synagogues in those days. So there was an open door there all the time. Whenever he would go somewhere, he'd look for a Jewish synagogue and he would begin to proclaim Christ as the Messiah of Israel. And so he reasoned with them from the scriptures, the Jews and the Gentile worshipers. Why, why did he start there with them? Because it was common ground. He didn't have to develop or look for common ground with them. It was already established. It was already part of the culture everywhere that he went where there was a Jewish synagogue. 
However, we see the Apostle Paul in different parts of the book of Acts and in other passages, other books, whenever he's reasoning with the Gentiles, he'll, he'll take a different approach. And what he does is he looks for common ground. So here's the first application for you guys. As, as, and let me ask you this question, and I don't want you to raise your hands because as I love what Pastor Jared said. It's not a guilt trip kind of thing. But ask yourself, how often are you in interaction with, with non-Christian people? How often do you, they get to see you live your life or hear you talk about life? How often do you get to hear them talk about their lives? Are you interacting with unbelievers? And I know that some of us need to be very careful because kind of going back into the unbelieving world, if you will, or being around certain kinds of people, it could be a temptation for us. It could be a stumbling block. So we need to use caution. But as God would have you to think about the Great Commission, about go and make disciples of all nations, what group are you going to or what people are you going to or how are you inserting uh, yourself into the lives of unbelieving people? So Paul knew that the synagogue, there would be common ground. Other times we kind of have to look for it. How can, we, how can we intermingle? So once again, I just want, I'm just, my hope today is to provoke you to think. And let the scriptures provoke you to think. To say, how can I reach out to people? How can I hear their story? How can I get to know unbelievers? How can they get to know me? You know, many of us have social media. Guys, I think it's a tremendous tool. A lot of it's a lot of junk, and I get sick of the paid ads and all that kind of stuff. I mean, if I do a Google search for a guitar, I'm having guitar ads pop up everywhere. I just like, okay, quit tempting me, quit tempting me. You know, so. But, you know, social media, it's the World Wide Web. Wherever there's an internet connection, you have an opportunity uh, to let your faith be known, your love and appreciation, your gratefulness for God can be known. Uh, and I hope that you're using it, you know. And um, it's just a reference point where people can take a, get a snapshot of your life and know that you're a follower of Jesus. You know, you, you may not have the time to go out to coffee with people very often or something like that. I would hope that you would, you know, to be able to go deeper with people in interaction. However, Jesus did talk about us being the light of the world and letting our light shine. So that, that's a tremendous advantage. You know, I, I post pictures of, of my family, my kids, my grandkids, my, the fun places I get to go. I post pictures of all those things. That my, you know, my, my social media pages are not just another pulpit, you know. It's, I'm sharing my life with people. So they kind of get to know me that way. Oh, he's got a weird sense of humor. He travels a bit. He thinks he's a musician. He likes to eat tamales. I mean, you know, I kind of share my life with people. But I also share my faith in Christ. You know, so I'm, I'm able to kind of share. It doesn't always give me the opportunity to hear from people. But, they, but, they, but I'm, I'm kind of surprised about the people that say, I'll run into somebody and they say, oh, yeah, you know, I've been following you on, on Facebook and I really appreciate what you had to say about this thing here. And I didn't quite know how to think about it and you really helped me and you put a scripture verse out there and you, it's a connection. And I hope that we're all doing something to connect with people in the world. So we see in verse 17 here, Paul, he, he already had a built-in connection with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers. And so he, he could start with the Old Testament because that's what they were all reading together. He could do that. When he reasoned with Gentiles, I'm I'm presuming here it says in the marketplace, verse 17, those who happened to be there. He reasoned in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Did he need groceries every day? Probably not. I'm thinking he, there's a young couple, 
uh, that my wife and I know in Napa, and they used to go hang out at Pete's Coffee, and they just had these real bubbly personalities, and they could just kind of walk up to somebody, hey, I'm so-and-so, and say, so what do you do for a living? And just start a conversation, and it would always lead to Jesus. They were just, that was their marketplace. They intentionally would go to Pete's Coffee or Starbucks or something like that and find people to talk to. And that was just the gifting that they had. I'm not bubbly like that. I'm kind of like, you know, buy me a cheeseburger, I might talk to you a little bit or something. That kind of, you know, I, I kind of warm up a little more slowly, you know, but they could, they could just turn on that switch and that was their gifting. That was a personality God gave them. I don't think that Paul had to go to the marketplace daily to get groceries every day. I think he just went to meet people. And we understand he was a single man and, and he was kind of a traveling missionary and he probably had his schedule allowed him to do that more often than perhaps a lot of us could do. But he purposely inserted himself in public and he got out there and he reasoned with people. He just talked to them. There's a gal at our church now that uh, there's a uh, farmer's market that every, uh, I think it's Saturday or something, Thursday morning, something, she goes to the same vegetable stand and has developed uh, a bit of a relationship with the guy that's selling vegetables. It's very intentional. Lots of places to buy vegetables. But she's, she's, she's noticed that this person is open to talking, so she deliberately goes back there all the time. It's that kind of thing. She's thinking with a gospel mindset. She's thinking with a Great Commission mindset, you know. Uh, not just buying vegetables where they're the cheapest and the freshest, but I'll go here, the vegetables are good, but this person seems to be interested. And so it's that kind of mindset. Now we're going to read here in verse 18 about the Epicureans and about the Stoic philosophers. So the Stoics, let me tell you uh, about the Stoics. They were pantheists, and uh, that means that God is in everything. God is in the trees, God is in the beach, God is in the rocks, God is everywhere. At death, a, per a person is assimilated into the great world of spirituality. Everything kind of turns back to, to dust, and the whole thing is all just spiritual uh, you know, Mother Earth or, or whatever the case may be, we're all just kind of gathered back into that great energy force. They had moral sincerity, a high sense of duty. They were disciplined. They were thinkers. They were people who reasoned. They handled life with quiet strength. If they had to have their dignity diminished, they would prefer suicide over living a weak life. And so um, the first two leaders of Stoicism actually committed suicide. Because if you couldn't kind of push through life with a stiff upper lip and kind of real strong and kind of, you know, performing your moral duty and being disciplined, if you got weak and all of that, uh, it's just not worth living. And that's kind of how they thought. So a thought about that is, it's a, it's a dangerous thing to be a thinker and a critic and a philosopher if you do not believe there is such a thing as ultimate truth. These are people, in Athens, we already read that these people were anxious to hear any kind of good news and they're always talking about the latest thing. But it seems that they never wanted to have a landing place. They weren't in search of ultimate truth. They were in search of new ideas to talk about, apparently with no, no uh, plan to land on any particular thing. So the search isn't for truth. The search is for something new to debate. But when you need truth, if you're in the habit of not expecting to find it, what's going to be the foundation of your life? And you start getting cynical, and I've seen people do this, because you're just comparing idea with idea, but you're never really asking yourself or letting anybody ask you. If you, do you I, I have a very intelligent friend, and I've asked him, do you, think, do you believe there's anything such as, as ultimate truth? And he says, no. 
His, his IQ is way higher than mine. He's an old friend, 40 years and all that kind of thing. And, and we're close. He's an atheist, used to be a Christian and that whole thing. But when you know somebody that long, you see them go from this to this to this to this to this. And every time they're at a new stopping point, they proclaim it very eloquently and very beautifully. And they're very convincing. But a couple years down the road, they're on to something else. And so the Athenians were like that. And so it's not a good place to be. The, Sto- the Stoics believed in fate. They believed that life was to be endured. And you just kind of get through it the best you can, the best way that you can. But it can turn a person cynical. The Epicureans, we read about them. They were the pleasure seekers. They, they wanted to live a life free of physical and moral emotional pain. They wanted to avoid conflicts and troubling thoughts. Go with the flow, take it easy, and kick back. They didn't want to have disturbing passions. They didn't want to be fearful about life. They wanted to just, everything just had to be for a good time. It's that, that YOLO mentality. You only live once, so just go for it. Enjoy yourself. They acknowledged the existence of gods, but they believed that the gods had no interaction with them. They believed in chance. There was no rhyme or reason. The Stoics believed that there was some kind of fate. The Epicureans, they just believed in chance. They believed that death brought annihilation. There's no uh, eternal existence in any form. Therefore, just go for it today because it just doesn't matter. Uh, How does the saying go? It's not very intellectual. Live like a hog and die like a dog, something like that. (laughs) Just, you know... Just go for it. It really does, there's no consequences. Just go for life. Just go for it. Just enjoy life. They enjoyed also hearing new ideas, but not with a plan or a view towards embracing them. They loved the mental stimulation. And many of the people that we talk to, guys, if you're talking to anybody, a lot of people who are the, 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 the thinkers that you'll talk to, they enjoy the mental stimulation. I enjoy mental stimulation too. But it's always with a view towards if God shows me something that's concrete, I'm going to believe it. For others, it's just the thrill of the, of the hunt. But they're never interested in the catch. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7, that there's people who are always learning and never come, they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so a lot of people that we will talk to will love to have a discussion because it's mentally stimulating. They want to hear your arguments. They want to pontificate to you, that kind of thing. But they're, they're not interested in landing anywhere. And so I just want to encourage you guys as you talk to people to ask them the question. I think it's a fair question. Ask people this. Do you, do you believe that there is any kind of ultimate truth out there? If they say no, then you can say, well, anything goes then, right? Sure, anything goes. Well, then I'm going to go home. I'm going to get a baseball bat. I'm going to come back here, bonk you in the head, take your wallet, take your purse, and anything goes. And of course, they'll say, no, that's not okay. Oh, so there is some kind of truth. That, that one's easy to, to, to kind of unravel. So I would challenge people and ask them, do you believe in ultimate truth? And if you, if you find it, are you ready to commit to it? Ask people that. I don't know that a lot of people think about that necessarily. So, we read about the Areopagus here, Mars Hill, and this is where the Supreme Court of Athens met. So, this was the place in Athens where truth was determined. 
But as it turns out, the people on Mars Hill just love to debate, and it doesn't seem that they were too interested in landing on truth. That describes, I think, emotionally and philosophically, mentally, a lot of the people that we interact with. People that think life is just to be endured or people that just think life is just to be enjoyed. But there's no ultimate truth. Look at verse 16 with me again. Look, look at, uh, look at uh, Paul, actually not verse 16. Where is it? <laughs> verse 18. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered Paul, and some said, what does this babbler want to say? Uh, my side margin for the word babbler means a seed picker, an idler who makes a living picking up scraps. So they talked about Paul as he's talking about the resurrection from the dead. And a lot of these guys didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. The Greeks, by, by and large, didn't embrace the idea of immortality. They just, it's just the here and the now. So the idea of a seed picker, we just, uh, in our backyard, uh, we, we have a little bird seed feeder thing. And I'm kind of getting into feeding the birds. It's kind of fun. We have a little hummingbird thing. We have so many hummingbirds in our yard, it's crazy. It's just amazing. Um, but the birds come, and, they, and they're, on the, they're on the seed thing, and then they're picking seed, but a lot of the seeds fall to the ground. So there's so many birds now in our yard, they're just picking, they're just doing this thing. And that's the idea that they thought of Paul. He's just some guy that goes around, and he gets a little bit of this, and he gets a little bit of that, and he gets a little bit of this, and he's putting together this, this cute little philosophy for life or some religion that he's putting together. They just call him a seed picker. Oh, he'll be entertaining. Let's listen to him. He has some ideas. A new person to debate. And they just kind of took him not very seriously, lightly. So that's what they thought about Paul. But notice what Paul thought about them. Verse 16, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. The word provoked is defined this way, to sharpen or to stimulate, to spur on, to urge, to irritate, to arouse to anger. It bothered him that so many people we're living without Christ. It bothered him. It bothered Jesus when he looked upon the multitudes. We know that, right? He saw the people as sheep without a shepherd, and he had what on them? Compassion. He had compassion on them. I pray that we would be people that are provoked in, in a good way, not to anger, but that we're just... We're joyful for the lives that God has given us. We're grateful for our churches and our families and our jobs and our health and all of those things. But a part of us is always a little bit not okay because of people in our lives that we know that are, that are living without God. And this is, this is, I pray that we would all have that. I think if we don't, we need to pray for that kind of heart. Would you guys agree with that? We need to pray for that kind of heart. Because Paul here wasn't provoked because of some sense of duty or something like that. He just genuinely was sad that these people were living without Christ. He wasn't moved by the philosophy. He wasn't moved by the culture. He wasn't moved by the architecture. He wasn't moved by the grandiose, um, you know, uh, appearance of, of Athens or anything like that. He was moved because people were living without Christ. He was provoked in his heart. And I think unless we're provoked in our hearts, we're not going to be motivated to, to do these kinds of things. You're not going to be motivated to figure out how you can insert yourself in the lives of unbelievers. Because we'll just, 
we'll just be more self-focused. If I asked you guys to raise your hand, how, you know, please don't. <clears throat> if you do, we're going to talk afterwards. How many of us think it's a good idea to be self-focused? Hopefully nobody would go, oh, I do, I do. I live for that. You know, you're an Epicurean, you know. <laughs> um, none of us would say that, and yet is there anything in our hearts where, you know, where we're, we're thinking, I mean, the Super Bowls, is the Super Bowl coming soon? It's, it's end of January. Or I used to follow that stuff. If you're a sports fan and you, love a, you have a big screen TV and a great sound system, use it. Invite some people over. Invite some unbelievers over. If you uh, like to build hot rods, use it. If you like to play bridge, use it. In Napa, where we live, in Napa Valley, bocce ball is a big thing. Now pickleball. Join a softball team. Join a bridge club. <laughs> Imagine being in a bridge club and meeting with the same people week after week for 12 months. You start to hear their stories, and, and that ought to provoke you. And then maybe if they're gossiping or talking about this or that, and they notice that you don't join in, they notice that there's something different about you. Use your hobbies, use your interests as an inroad to find other people with the same interests and insert yourselves in their lives. As time, is, you know, as time allows, as life allows, as God leads, all of that. But just be thinking that way. You like to cook? Invite people over for meals. You know, you have a kid on a soccer team? Invite the team over. Sponsor a lunch. Be the, be the team mom. Our, daughters, our daughter is uh, kind of the team mom for one of, one of her soccer kids, one of the children's soccer teams. She's the contact person. She's not a preacher, but she's a godly woman. And she brings the fragrance of Christ wherever she goes. But Paul says that, for we are the fragrance of Christ. How can people enjoy the fragrance of Christ if they're not around you? And this, there needs to be that in our hearts. And if, if maybe you've been missing that, I would encourage you to pray, God, give me, that, give me that heart that you had. Give me that heart that Paul had and the others and so many other people. And, and, and help me to be one who, who goes to make disciples of all nations. We don't have to do that in the foreign field. You can, you, know, you can do it wherever you're at with whatever you do. Matthew 9, 36, I've already quoted it. Let me read it. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Pray for that. When I, when I came back to the Lord in the 80s, I, I was doing some music, and back then, this used to work. We used to have big concerts and outreaches, and the whole idea that, that Christian music could be rock and roll was like, whoa. You know, it's, now it's like, you know, it's, it's the norm now, but back then, we used to be able to do some concerts, and a lot of kids, we'd do outreaches, you know, in, in California, and people would come, and we would preach, and kids would get saved. Not so much anymore. The, you know, the message is the same, but the methodology is different. We have to be people that are flexible and saying, God, how do you want to use me? We still want to, you know, catch fish. Sometimes we've got to use a different bait, you know. But, but are you fishers of men? That's the idea. And so we need to have that in our hearts first. Third, first thing that we need is that we need to have it in our hearts. Look at verse 16 again. His spirit was provoked within him. He was just, he was agitated. In a good way. In a holy agitation. Verse 18 
Certain Epicurean Stoic philosophers encountered him and some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said he seems to be a claimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. How did they know that? Because they heard him. How did they hear him? Because he showed up. And it results in, uh, look at verse 19, and they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you are speaking. He didn't plan to go to the Areopagus. He just planned first to go to the synagogue. And then he looked around at the marketplace and said, man, there's a lot of people here that I could talk to. So he goes to the marketplace and the Epicureans and the Stoics need to buy groceries. And they're kind of standing there. Oh, what's this going over on in this corner over here? And he's just talking to the common folks, if you will. And they said, we should invite him up here. He sounds interesting. He sounds entertaining. Let's get him up here. Paul's not planning to go to the Areopagus. God sets it up. Why? Because he's first in this place, then he's in this place, and then God says, I'm going to also use you over here. Because he was getting out there, and God was opening doors for him. Guys, I so want to encourage you. May the Lord give you a heart that's provoked because in Walnut Creek, there's families that are struggling, there's marriages that are on the brink of divorce, there's kids that are being abused there's teens that are going off the rails and there's people that are going to hell and the church needs to be provoked i think you know and i might be wrong i mean there's not too many billy grahams and greg lorries there's just a whole bunch of us right and and praise the lord for billy grahams and greg lorries and the big evangelists you know but there's a whole bunch of us and we are to be salt and light in the world and the fragrance of christ but it's not going to happen if you just stay home all the time. You have to find ways. May the Lord show you how to interact with the world in a way that's not going to lead you astray. And it might be a little bit out of your comfort zone. You might actually hear somebody cuss. This is going to be a revealing part of the sermon right here. Or you're going to hear somebody bash your political you know, candidate. Or you're going to hear somebody talk about your, your thoughts on pro-life or, or, or gender identity. or They're, they're going to say things that, that if you're easily offended, you're not going to last. You're just not going to last if you're easily offended. So we kind of have to get over ourselves a little bit. Don't you think that Jesus was probably offended when he came into the world? Don't you think, you know, you think, well, you're offending my sense of holiness. Well, what about Jesus? My goodness. But he got past all that to, to, be, to be a bridge to the world so people could cross him and go to heaven. So, you know, we kind of need to get past those things. I, I, I've been playing a lot of open mics in, in Napa, and it's just really funny because they're slowly dis- discovering that I'm a, a Christian and a pastor, you know. And it's funny, you know, they'll be talking, and I'll just be sitting with them at a... We go to the Elks Club on Thursday night. We play music. and We'll just be sitting around and they'll just start talking and then suddenly they'll remember, oops, sorry, pastor. You know, it's like they're saying all this stuff and I'm just going, going you know, I, I, I know. Been there, done that, you know. But you just kind of have to insert yourself and, and, and not, be so, not be easily offended. So. so Paul started in the synagogue, normal, He goes to buy groceries in the marketplace. Oh, there's a bunch of people here. I think I'll go back. How often did he go? Yeah, starts with a D, ends with an daily. (laughs) Daily. And the the Epicureans and the the Stoics are buying food too, and they hear him, so they invite him. And one door opens another door. 
Now, he, now he's, guys, now he's standing be, before the Supreme Court of Athens, the place of influence. What was Paul's message to them, starting at verse 22? Paul stood up in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive in all things that you are very religious. How did he perceive that? Because he was walking through Athens with his eyes open. He wasn't just thinking of himself. He's thinking, how can I connect with these people? Let me look around here. What's going on? For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. And he didn't say, oh my gosh, I've got to get out of here. This is so ungodly. Don't they understand that there's only Jesus Christ? And, you know, he didn't have some kind of like, uh, I've, I've got to protect myself, you know, kind of mentality. He, he, he's looking in the world, he's looking at the world that he's, that he's existing in. And he's, he's thinking, I could talk to them about the end. They're worshiping some God that they don't even know. There's a story about 600 years. Let me see if I wrote it down. Yeah, here it is. 600 years earlier, before this time, there was a terrible plague in Athens. A man named Epimenides decided that they would allow a flock of sheep to roam throughout, throughout Athens. There was a plague, and they were like, which one of the gods isn't happy with us? So they let some sheep just roam. And whenever a sheep would lay down near a temple, they would make a sacrifice to that temple. But if a sheep would lay down in a field, they would make a sacrifice to the unknown god. They were so superstitious and so desperate. And Paul talks about here the people groping for the truth. Guys, that's a perfect time. If that was happening, hey, what are you guys doing? Oh, we're following the sheep. Why? Because we've got to get rid of this plague. Wherever they lay down, we make a sacrifice. Could I share an idea with you? People are anxious to hear that idea at that moment. Yeah, we've got a problem. A lot of the unbelievers that I'm getting to know right now, there's not a lot of preaching going on from Pastor Bill, but I'm expecting, and, and some of them are starting to open up to me, when there's a problem, now they're starting to talk to me because I'm there, because I've been able to insert myself. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, guys. It's just the illustration that comes to mind. I'm there. They know that they can come talk to me. They know what I'm about. I don't shove it down their throat, but I live it out in front of them. And they know where to, re they know where to go to. And, and, pe and people in your lives need to know that you're a Christian, and not one that's shoving politics down their throat or COVID uh, opinions down their throat or any of these other things or bashing what they believe. People don't need to know, they don't need us bashing them. They need us loving them and speaking truth and being available to them. So when the need comes, they call you. We need, we need to be those people. So Paul notices what's going on and then look at halfway down verse 23. Therefore... Therefore, is the result of him having his eyes open uh, to the people in the synagogue, to the people in the marketplace, to the people of Athens. He's been analyzing the situation, and now the door has opened. Somebody quoted this. I think it's some you know, secular quote, but I think it works. Success is when preparation meets opportunity. Preparation, he's been looking around. Opportunity, he was in the marketplace. They invited him. Now he's going to have some success. Some of these people are going to get saved now. Not, not, not very many, but some of them are. So uh, his, his message started because he's observing the world around them. He starts with their world. He doesn't start with his world. He starts with their world. I, I, know, that this, I know that you guys are religious. I've noticed it. You guys have a reputation for this. And I saw that an unknown, unknown God... 
Can I talk to you about him? He's not, he's, not, he's not importing his culture into the Athenians. He's importing himself into their culture. When you think about Islam, Islam is not just a religious belief. It's a culture. It's a language, right? Christianity doesn't seek to change culture or force you to, to dress a certain way. It's amazing. I've been able to travel enough to, to be in Nigeria and Ukraine and South America and Mexico. All these cultures are different. The, the worship styles are different, all that. But Jesus is the same. And so he's not trying to, to import his political culture into them or COVID convictions or any of those things. He's not trying to tell them about conspiracies or the, the, the left or the right or the woke or the unwoke or any. He's just talking about Christ. Not concerned with the culture. I think the churches, I feel a rant coming on. I'm going to really hold it back here. But I think we've gone off the rails the last couple of years with this COVID business and politics. I think we need to be Christocentric churches. And so... Anyway, as if the shoe fits. If the shoe fits, keep it on your foot. Don't throw it at me, okay? <laughs> so he's talking to them about the unknown God, and then he says, verse 24, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. The Epicureans believe the world just came together. They believed in the Big Bang Theory. So what's he doing? He's getting a little thing in there for the Epicureans. The unknown God that you just think it's a big bang. A lot of, a lot of religious folks who have philosophies have no explanation uh, for creation. Buddhists don't have any explanation for creation that I've discovered yet. They, they want a lot of the same things that we do, peace and tranquility and lack of materialism, but they have no explanation for creation. So if I'm talking to a Buddhist and, I can, and I'm quoting Sermon on the Mount, they're going, yeah, yeah, I, I agree, mercy and forgiveness and love and love your neighbor. They, they agree with all that kind of stuff. But I would say, yeah, but the God behind that all is the one that created all things. And this is what Paul's doing in verse 24. Uh, uh, God who made everything in it since, the, since he's the Lord of heaven and earth, the Epicureans would go, oh, he's talking to us. How does he know, that he, how does he know to say that? Because he's been, he's been having his eyes open. He knows his audience. Verse 25, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life and breath and all things. Verse 25, the Greeks bought, brought food and drinks to their gods. But Paul is saying, God doesn't need your stuff. He provides for you. Now he's talking to all of them. How does he know to say that? Because he knows his audience. Verse 26, he's made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. He's determined their pre-appointed times and boundaries of their habitation so that they should seek the Lord in hope that they might, find, that they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are his offspring. The, in verse 26, the Greeks thought that they were better than all people. I learned kind of a new application of a new word. One commentator said they thought they were the aboriginals, that they were like the, the original race and everybody came from them. Now, Paul knew that they thought that way. So what does he say in verse 26? He's made from one blood, every nation of men. We're all the same. Another little, I like to call it a zinger. It's another little zinger. He's, notice he started in their world. He started, he started in their world, talking about the unknown God. He didn't start by quoting Leviticus and, and, the, and the offerings of, of uh, goats and sheep and turtle doves. That's not their world. He starts where they're at. He's a thinking man. Verse 27, he talks about them groping. It's the idea, 
if you enter a dark room, you're groping for the light switch. The Stoics, once again, thought that life was ruled by fate. Don't expect a personal God. The Epicureans, there is no God to reach out for, just enjoy life. He's saying here in verse 27, guys, there is a personal God, and he wants you to find him. He knows how to talk to them. Verse 28, he quotes one of their own poets. Paul was a well-read man. Can we just ask, um, how long do I have, Jared? I'm going to be careful, but 10 minutes. Okay, I won't even need that much. Everybody's, ah, praise the Lord. <laughs> are you guys reading any non-Christian books right now? Anybody? Yeah, what are you reading? Golf? Okay. Could that be used by the Lord? To first help you have peace. <laughs> just cheesy. No, it gives you, I mean, you, you're more fluent in golf speak. So if you meet somebody else, you can dialogue with them on that. That can be used. What else are you, is anybody else reading any non, non-Christian books? I would encourage you to. Um, some, a number of years ago, some of my relatives, they were, they were, I kind of discovered they were more liberal than I imagined. And they said, they said you need to listen to, you know, uh, National Public Radio. Like, oh, those lefties. I listen to National Public Radio every day because I want to know what's going on in the world. I want to know, I want to know the problems that unbelievers see in the world and I want to know how they're trying to fix it because they are trying to fix some things. I think that a lot of the approaches are wrong, but they're trying to fix them. That helps me understand how other people think. I would encourage you to read some other books. Maybe an apologetics book. Maybe understand some, some, like a comparative religion book. Would you be able to talk to a Mormon? Would you be able to talk to a Buddhist? Would you be able to talk to a, a Baha- person of the Baha'i faith? Just get acquainted with these things so that you can be fluent. Paul is fluent in their language. What do missionaries do? They go to another country and they don't say, we're going to start a church, you need to learn English. They don't do that. They learn the language, they learn the customs, they insert themselves in those people's worlds so they can bring Christ to them. We need to do that here in America as well. We need to be you know, missionaries to America, to the unsaved, who don't speak Christianese. Sandy Adams a few years ago did a brilliant sermon. Were you there down in Southern California? He did this brilliant sermon about how Christians speak Christianese and how about a Christian guy went to work and told this non-Christian guy about his new girlfriend. I have a new girlfriend. Oh, really, what's she like? She's on fire. Is she okay? Oh, no, it's fine. She's covered by the blood. What happened? Did you take her to the hospital? I mean, it's like we, we use this language that unbelievers don't understand, you know? We need to be able to be fluent in the world to communicate the gospel, and we need to care. And that's what we see. That's what Jesus did. That's what Paul did. That's what all the disciples did. And a lot of people are doing it, so. Um, Verse 28, he quotes one of their well-known poets. He's fluent in their world. Now look at verse 19. He has made his case. Remember where he started. Synagogue, marketplace. He's buying groceries. He's noticing, oh, there's more people there, and I don't need an invitation to go there. And the Epicureans and the Stoics see him, and they invite him to the Supreme Court. And then he starts in their world, and he's building this case. Has he quoted any scripture yet? None. 
but he's building a case. They're not interested in Scripture. He's speaking to them logically. Verse 30, no, verse 29, excuse me. Therefore, since we are of the offspring of God, you don't hear a lot of Christians saying that, but it's, there, is, there is a brotherhood of humanity. We're all created by God. We ought not to think that the divine nature is like silver or gold or stone, something shaped by art or man's hands or man's devising. He's arguing from their worldview, and he systematically builds a case to introduce Jesus to these people. He's speaking like a lawyer who's building his case. Verse 30, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked. Now he's kind of sinking the knife in a little bit, you know. But now God commands all men everywhere to repent. So he's not going easy on them. He's not going churchy on them, but he is going biblically on them. Okay? Verse 31, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained, he has given assurance of of this to all by raising him from the dead. None of those people believed in resurrection from the dead. None of those people did. And they just thought, we live by fate. You kind of hang on and do your own thing. Now he has introduced resurrection from the dead, uh, eternal life, and that there is a God who created all things and all men are equal and he's going to judge us. And it all started because he just went to the local church and did his thing. But his heart was provoked. Verse 32, notice, and when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. See, this was the tipping point for them. This, is, this was like, this is where they drew the line. Ah, this is foolishness. Some mocked, while others said, we will hear you again on this matter later. That's kind of like, wink, wink. Yeah, we'll get back to you. Wink, wink. We're, we're done with you. You know, we're not going to listen to you. So Paul departed from among them. Okay, I don't, I don't need to force this thing. But notice, however, some men joined him and believed. Among them, Dionysius, the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So Paul started with God as the creator of all things and ended with God as judge over all things. A systematic argument. History tells us, so Dionysius, Dionysius, he was a member of the ruling committee that decided who could or couldn't spread new thoughts around Athens. He was the thought police of Athens. A man could only be part of the Areopagus if he was well-born and educated. And ancient tradition says that Dionysius became pastor of a small church in Athens. He got saved apparently and started a church. Because Paul just said, I'm going to go hang out at the flea market. Damaris, verse 34, women were not usually present for these discussions unless they were present as a mistress to one of the members of the Areopagus. That's a code word for a lot of bad things. And she got saved. And other people got saved. And it happened because Paul, obviously the Spirit of God was working in the heart of Paul in a tremendous way. And he was provoked and he was motivated. And Paul just did what Paul does. He, just, he, he was just being himself. Um, and I just want to encourage you guys, just be yourself. And once again, may the Lord, may the Lord stir your hearts. And, and I, 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 I don't have the ability to stir anybody's heart. But, but may the Lord stir your, stir your hearts to say, God, use me. You said to go and make disciples of all nations. I think that's an intimidating a thought to a lot of us. 
You know, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Yes, we can always quote scripture. Scripture, you know, is powerful and living and sharper than any two-edged sword. Faith comes by hearing and that by the word of God. We can always do that too. But I think a lot of us uh, have the ability to learn how to be able to dialogue with an unbelieving world. One of the things that I'm hoping to do this year with our church is to have uh, kind of a class or a discussion thing where we're all reading books, uh, an apologetics book. I think I mentioned last time I was here, uh, Mama Bear Apologetics, I think I mentioned that. And I was teaching an apologetics class in Peru, and so I started with one that was designed for mothers to teach their little kids. That's kind of where I'm at, you know. But it was very stimulating to my mind, and I think for us to, to allow ourselves to be stimulated, to not just... Guys, we're ambassadors, Right? Aren't we ambassadors of Jesus Christ? What do ambassadors do? They learn how to talk to the other side. And if we are, as they say, the frozen chosen or the holy huddle, you know, forgive me, but can I just be blunt? The church isn't going to grow. We are ambassadors. It isn't pastor, and I'm talking about the local assembly, and I'm talking about, you know, the assembly worldwide. We need to interact with the world one way or the other. I don't think you have to go beyond who you are, beyond your means or beyond your ability, but just say, Lord, number one, give me the heart and then show me, like, what's in my tool bag? I like to build cars. I like to bake. I like sports. I like to host people. I like to do these things. What is your, the passion of your life? I mean, for me, a big thing is music. God, use, use the music that you've given me. I've done some gardening. I can go over and help somebody fix their sprinkler system. God, who did you make me to be? Give me a passion to use it to reach out to this world. So, let me pray for us. Thanks for welcoming me once again. Lord, thank you so much that Jesus, um, <laughs> you're, the, you're the great example of a missionary. <laughs> Stepping out of glory and taking an immeasurable step down to put on flesh. And then not only walking as the great, greatest and loftiest man but as a slave and as a servant and even giving yourself over to death lord uh, so that eternal life uh, could be experienced by all who would say yes to you lord i pray that we would have that missionary mentality pray that the calvary walnut creek and that cornerstone fellowship in napa lord that we would be churches full of people that are seeking uh, people to interact with to talk about you so encourage our hearts, Father, and equip us and lead us by your Spirit, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.